Awesome. I love it. I, I need to walk up with a little more swagger next time. I didn't know the music was coming. But, uh, man, yeah, I, I'm so grateful for to be here. And, man, I'm just blown away by that, by that testimony of this family that God is doing. Let's give God one more hand for what, he just, what he's been doing. And as I've been thinking about what God is doing through this movement, and that's what this is, H2O is a movement of God that has been going on for years. And uh, as I was just hearing those stories, I was feeling like God may be giving me um, some insight and some thoughts from the Holy Spirit for y'all. And I, I, one thing I felt like he gave me to say to you is he wants to do more. There is more that he wants to do in and through this church network. And uh, something I've been praying for 2020, 2021, 2022 is a national revival that can sweep across, especially the college campuses in our nation. And um, there's there's one happening right now at Asbury um, College, a Christian college. There's a revival breaking out there. There's campuses across the nation that are seeing little sparks, little movements of God, um, some of them bigger than others. We're even seeing a lot of Christians come to know Jesus um, on these campuses across the nation. And I, I want to say to y'all, just like God can make dry, dead bones live again, God wants to send a revival. I think God wants to send a revival to each of y'all's churches. And I believe he wants to expand a movement of God on every one of your campuses and multiply churches to go to the ends of the earth. So I truly believe that God is up to something special. I don't think it's unique. I don't, th- I don't think it's a coincidence. It is unique. I don't think it's a coincidence that y'all have gotten together now as a group. This is the first conference y'all have gotten all together in a while, and I believe God is up to something special, and he wants to use this last session to challenge you and to equip you, and I, I'm humbled that I get to be a part of it. <laughs> and um, so I'll introduce you, my family. Let's throw up my family back up there. Um, so there's uh, my wife, Christy. We've been married 15 years, and uh, she still makes me blush. Uh, wait, that's too much information. But um, and then we got Owen. He's 11 years old. He just le- he's a skater, surfer, and we- that's like father son bonding time. Getting wrecked by the big waves in Hawaii, and uh, he just ollied his first eight stair, eight over eight stairs. Any skateboarders in here in the room? Okay, no, no. Okay, it's fun. I recommend it. And then Evelyn, um, she's she's eight years old. She wants to be a koala bear trainer when she grows up. Which I keep telling her that's not a thing, but she won't listen. Um, she also discovered kawakas, and she's like, oh, that, she'll add that to the mix, and she'll train them. I want to throw out my social media real quick before uh, we jump into the meat of things. Um, if you want to follow me as I follow Christ, hopefully that's the cheesiest joke of the night. Um, you can there. Um, and then also my email. If you want to share a testimony of something God's done or just get some input, I have tons of free resources I'd love to get. Um, in your hands. So I'd love to get emails. I have an assistant that can help me. So even if I got 500 emails, I wouldn't die. Um, and then I, I wanted to throw this up next, this free ebook. I wrote a free book that you can all get at jensen.org called The Big Five, Foundational Habits for Discipleship. And if what I'm saying about revival is true, about God sending revival to your churches, to the campuses across the nation, he's going to, God, the Holy Spirit, 
uses tracks to run on, and that's the spiritual disciplines, time alone with God, prayer, scripture memory, evangelism, and that's what this is about. It's about these five spiritual disciplines that are essential for your life. If you're curious what those five are, I mentioned a few of them, um, but if you're really curious, read that book. Um, but in 2009, my wife, Christy, and I moved to Chico, California. Anyone ever heard of Chico State in California? Okay, woo! <laughs> we're the Harvard of the West. No, we're not. Actually, we're one of the top party schools in the nation. And what we've learned is that the light of Jesus can shine the brightest in some of the darkest places. And since 2009, we've seen over 1,000 students cross from death to life and come to know Christ. Um, we've seen God do incredible things. And that's what I'm learning. If, if some of your campuses seem dark, man, you are at a perfect place to let the light of Christ shine brightly. But the title of my message is, Every Day is a Mission Trip. Every Day is a Mission Trip. How many of y'all have been on a mission trip before? Yeah, okay, good percentage. Remember the intentionality? Remember the prayer, the focus you had on that mission trip? You were in the zone spiritually. You did not want to have any distractions. You wanted to be locked in and focused on what God's doing and I would submit to you that on the college campus, as a college student, you are on the most strategic mission field on the planet. You are on the most strategic place to live on mission at the best time to reach someone with the gospel. And so I pray that after this session, you don't just go on mission trips, you live on mission. Every day, every person you're around, that you see your life as a great adventure with the Lord Really, there's only two ways to live. There's the, there's the lukewarm, half-hearted Christian life, and there's the radically obedient, on-mission, suffering for the gospel, joyful, abundant, joyful Christian life, the fruitful Christian life. So I'm going to challenge you to choose one by the end of this session, but let me pray, uh, and then I'm going to jump into the, the bulk of it. Father, thank you for your grace. I have, you have supernaturally changed many of us in here, most of us in here. And God, don't let, it, don't let what you've done in our hearts stay with us, Lord. God, you gave us the gospel. You gave us your spirit because it was headed to someone else. And God, help us to catch a vision for a life that's worth living, a life that's worth dying for in this session. And you would get all the glory for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So I move pretty fast. My first point is so broadly with the gospel. If you want to take notes, so broadly with the gospel. I pray that every person in here would become a seed-sowing fool. You would just sow the seed of the gospel to as many people as possible, as much as possible, and let the chips fall where they may, and let God use you. And uh, Matthew 9, 36 to 38 gives this great picture. Um, it's, I'm going to read it to you. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This passage has transformed my life. I want you to write down a word compassion, and put a little equal sign next to it. And in the Greek, it literally means to be moved to your gut. And when Jesus saw the crowds, 
of lost people that didn't have a relationship with him, it made him sick to his stomach. If any of you have ever had a death in the family you just found out about or some tragedy and you just got that pit in your stomach, anyone ever experienced that? It happened to me when I broke up with my girlfriend in seventh grade. <laughs> okay, but, but when Jesus sees the crowds on your campus, when he sees that 95% of your campus or more, if nothing changes, they're going to live a life of bondage to sin, a life of emptiness, and then an eternity separated from God in hell. The average student on your campus is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And when Jesus sees your campus, he weeps. I believe when Jesus sees your campus, his heart still breaks. And I pray that you would, your heart would break, that you would get sick to your stomach. Next time the students rush from, you ever have like the rush between classes where you can't even get through a certain areas of your campus? I pray that you would move from being annoyed in that moment to broken, to seeing the, your, the, your friends, the people you don't know, and seeing the, I pray that God would bless you with a burden. I pray that Jesus would share his compassion for the crowds with you. And that's the mark of a spiritually mature person. The more closer you get to Jesus, the more he shares his heart with you. Those that have the greatest grasp of the gospel have the greatest compassion for the lost. The more you realize what you have in Christ, the more you, it's the only logical next step is to want as many people as possible to experience that as well. Anyone read the book of Romans? Book of Romans. Highly recommend. Best theology book there is. Okay. Uh, in, in seven chapters, he builds this master class, master case for the gospel and just uses his logic and all these things. And then in chapter 8, he goes off and he gets a little Pentecostal. He starts pacing around the stage and he says, hey, Romans 8, 1, it, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Any, any Romans 8 fans, guys? Yeah, Okay. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And then in Romans, towards the end, he just builds up momentum. And uh, he's getting fired up. And he's like, what can separate us from the love of God? Short answer, nothing. Nothing. If you are in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God. But then Romans 9, he takes a dramatic turn. It goes from the height of celebration in the gospel straight to the depths of lament. And in Romans 9, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the power of the Holy, in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I mean, settle down, Apostle Paul. Like, chill, Apostle Paul. Like, you should be more gospel-centered, Apostle Paul. No. Man, Apostle Paul made up an impossible scenario. He could give up his own salvation for the sake of his people, the Jewish people that needed to come to Christ. And he even said he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish. And I pray that God would bless you with that. I pray that God would would bless you with joy in his presence and in his spirit, but also an aspect of what his spirit wants to do in your life is break your heart for what breaks his.
And I remember sitting at a campfire when I was a freshman. We were singing worship songs, and I was learning this truth about the exclusivity of the gospel, that Jesus is the only way to God. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I was learning the truth of this, and I remember sitting at that campfire, and I just remember started weeping. Like my friends on the dorm hall that are partying, that are smoking weed, like they are headed to a Christless eternity, and I just lost it. Have you ever wept for the fate of the lost? Luke 19, 41, Jesus, when he drew near the city, he wept over it. My question is, do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we really believe the exclusivity of the gospel? Because if we do, the exclusivity of the gospel demands urgency to share the gospel. The, the only loving and logical response to the truth that Jesus can save a soul now, free them and, and li- them live for eternity. The only lo- loving and logical response to that message is to leverage the rest of your life to help as many people come to know it. The only loving and logical response is to leverage your life to help as many people come to know Christ. And I think atheists sometimes understand this more, right? Sometimes atheists get it more. There was this famous um, atheist comedian and magician that someone shared the gospel with him. His name is Penn Teller. He's still alive, but um, someone came up to him and gave him a Bible, tried to share with him, and he made this little video, and you can check it out. It's called Penn Teller Gets a Bible. Look it up, and not right now, but um, and in it he says, man, I don't agree with what he, the guy was saying when he shared the gospel with me, but I've always said this. How much do you have to hate someone to know eternal life is real and not share with them? And he was like breaking down in tears. And actually, uh, this is a common theme among atheists. There was an atheist that was getting executed. This was, about, this was a long time ago. And um, a priest very formally came up and shared the gospel with this criminal that was about to get executed, kind of as a last rites, just a formality. And this famous non-Christian criminal said this. He said, do you believe that? Do you believe that? If I believe that, I would willingly crawl across broken glass to tell men it is true. You see, it is impossible to exaggerate the urgency of eternity. It is impossible to have me to overemphasize how long forever is. Like, my little pea brain gets freaked out by thinking about being with God forever in heaven. Like, guys, let's just be real. Like, I just think about that, and I get freaked out. I'm excited about it, but I'm also scared. But those without Christ, this is truth. Those that don't follow Jesus in this life, they are going to spend eternity separated from God in hell. And I could hoot, I could holler, I could pound the podium. There is nothing I could do to emphasize the urgency of this mission. Every person in your class, every one of your family members is headed to one or two places, an eternal heaven and eternal hell. And I'm a simple person. If I love them, I want to do something about it. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Imagine you had the cure to cancer, and you just kept a personal relationship with the cure to cancer. You didn't want to impose that on anyone. Like, what would the world do to you? Like, if they found out you had the cure to cancer, they would, I don't know. I don't know what they'd do, but it would not be good. Um, I think that's, we have the cure to the cancer of sin. 
and every person on the planet is infected. James 4.17 says, anyone knows who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Really, there's sins of omission and there's sins of commission. There's sins that you commit and then there's sins that you commit because you're not doing something. And I believe one of the greatest sins a Christian can can commit is the sin of complacency, the sin of silence. When they go through their whole life and they just say, who cares? They live a me-focused, self-centered Christian life, and God didn't save you for that. (laughs) Like, God saved you for so much more. God saved you to save others, to be a part of the saving work of what he's done on the cross, to extend his grace and his mercy to those without Christ. But a Christian who goes through their life and never shares the gospel, never wants to do anything to live on mission, is basically saying to the world, you can go to hell. But we all have a crucial part to play in this mission. That's the great thing about the body of Christ. It's not on you. And the other good part about this in Matthew 9 Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. I want you to write that phrase down, the harvest is plentiful. How many of you guys believe Jesus tells the truth? (laughs) Okay, you passed Sunday school, okay? Jesus tells the truth. If that's true, which it is, spoiler alert, it is, the harvest is plentiful, that means there are people on your campus right now that if one of y'all loved them, prayed for them, and shared the gospel with them, they would come to Christ. The problem is not with the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is a lack of laborers. And this is the greatest tragedy in the world. There's other legitimate things that are wrong in the world, but this is the greatest tragedy in the world, that there are more people on our planet that are willing to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel than there are Christians willing to share the gospel. And Jesus will take anyone. Jesus will use anyone. Jesus said the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he's calling us to be laborers for his kingdom. If you're wondering if he is, he is. It's one of the, the actual, the command in this passage in Matthew 9 is to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. But I call it the sneakiest passage in the Bible, right? Because it's impossible to pray for laborers and God not to be like, you are one, <laughs> okay? It's just, it's just like, we don't, why would you ever even want to have another option? Like, it is the greatest joy in life, even rivaling my wife and kids. There's a guy named Christopher Robbins. This is his real name, actually. Okay, I got to lead him to Jesus. He came from a Catholic background, and he came to know Christ. And at first, he had all these difficult beliefs that I didn't agree with. And every discipleship meeting, he would bring those up. And I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I don't agree. Let's look at what the Bible says about how to have a time alone with God. <laughs> so I just get him in the word, get him into the word. And long story short, God did about a half a year later, he came to me and he was like, hey, you know, all that stuff I said about this topic. He's like, I don't believe that anymore. I was like, oh, sick. Okay. What changed? He's like, I started reading the Bible. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, good, good. And then, fast forward, long, he, he, now he is a, an alumni, um, he's led people to Christ, he's a part of our church family, and he texted me the other day a picture of this baby, and I was like, what's that? He's like, that's my son. And I was like, oh, sick, awesome, good job. <laughs> and no, he's like, his name's Paul. 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, and he's like, after the Apostle Paul. <laughs> no, no, no. He said, he said it was after me and the Apostle Paul. So he got a two-for-one deal on that one. But let me just tell you, man, you live a life of mission. You live a life of sharing the gospel, of discipling people. I could talk all day about people's lives that are changed, family trees that are changed. And our motive in this is not about guilt. It's about grace. Our motive is not about guilt. It's about love. It's not about legalism, accomplishing something. It's about loving our Savior. Because I've learned that, again, this thing about the harvest being plentiful, it's totally rigged, okay? God supernaturally leads willing laborers to the abundant harvest. Even this testimony we just heard, no one could have planned that. No one could have planned for someone to give a divine prophetic word to someone or all this other stuff. Like, God is sovereignly drawing people to himself, and it's our job, our joy, to go discover people he's already working in. And that, when I discovered that, it changed everything about how I view and do evangelism. Because I've learned that there's nothing random about random evangelism. <laughs> right? Um, I remember driving to campus one time early years at Chico State. And uh, ever, when you're on a mission trip or trying to live for God, you ever had those intrusive thoughts like, oh, this is not worth my time? Anyone ever have that? Anyone real in here? Like, oh, this is, a, this is just, you know, going to push people away. This is going to be like resistance. And I believe that it was the enemy trying to feed me lies. And I was about to go do some evangelism. And luckily, at the discipline of scripture memory, I had practiced that. I had memorized this passage, Acts 18.10. This is Jesus showing up to the apostle Paul in a dream. And Jesus said, for I'm with you. No one is going to attack or harm you, for I have many people in this city. And it was in that moment that I believe the Spirit just gave a thought in my mind. Applying that passage kind of directly to me is, I have many people on this campus. I have many people that I'm working in, that I'm drawing, that I'm moving in, and it's your job to go find them. It's your joy and your privilege. And, and I believe that's true on your campus, too. I believe God has many people on your campus that he wants to save, that he wants to work in. And the sovereignty of God is the great, one of the greatest motivators for evangelism, is we get to sync up our purposes with the very purposes of God, and it's guaranteed to work. If you become a laborer, you will start bringing in the harvest. If you share the gospel, you will lead people to Christ. If you share the gospel, you will lead people to Christ because I call it the divine Easter egg hunt, all right? There's people there on the campus that, are, that God's moving in, and we get the privilege and the joy of discovering people he's already working in. Um, and so that's where the sowing broadly comes to mind to play. I, I, you could, I could drop a group of you anywhere in the world, any campus in the world, any unreached people group in the world, and if you pray and you share the gospel, and you disciple people deeply, you're going to see a movement of God in that place. And I, I can guarantee you that, is that because the harvest, the problem is not with the harvest, right? The harvest is plentiful. The problem is a lack of labors. So will you be a laborer? I heard about a missionary couple that moved to a Muslim people group, a really difficult people group, and they labored for seven years with no fruit, no new believers, nothing really happened seven years. Eighth year, they started seeing this revival breakout. Tons of people come to Christ. 
And uh, the, the leader called him up and was like, hey, seven years, nothing, eighth year, revival, people coming to Christ, what changed? And they, they, on, they looked at him with sadness, and they, in, sadness in their voice, and they said, we started sharing the gospel. <laughs> and he was like, the leader was like, what? What do you mean? Like, he was like, before, we were trying to earn the right to share the gospel. And in a missions context, there is contextualization, and there's platform building. But they eventually, they're like, at, at that point, we realized that Jesus already earned the right for us to share the gospel by dying on the cross. And then he's commissioned us. And so we decided we are going to share the gospel as soon as possible with as many people as possible. And they had discovered people that God had been working on for years. I'm reading about Muslim uh, countries where the missionaries show up and they start spiritual conversations. And the person is literally having dreams and visions of Jesus. And they said, I'm longing to hear about that. There's women that someone gave him a Bible, a relief worker gave him a Bible, and that woman is reading that Bible alone at night, in the middle of the night, and then hiding it under a mattress because if she got caught, she would get killed by probably her husband. But these people are bridging into those gospel conversation, and God is saving people right and left in some of the most unreached, difficult places on the planet. And because... The problem is not with the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is the lack of laborers. I pray that all of us would just become seed-sowing fools. It's not our job to convince or to convert anyone, right? It's our job to love people and to share. So I take the low-pressure relational approach when I share the gospel, and I just give as many people as possible a chance to hear about Jesus, to get prayed for, to hear the gospel. I don't really care how you do it. The best kind of evangelism is the kind that you do, okay? And, but I pray that y'all go out and just be bold and be seed-sowing fools. I pray that it would be hard to go to hell on your campuses. That's one of our mottos at Chico State. We want it to be hard to go to hell at Chico State. John 4, 35, do you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. What would happen if every one of us in this room really saw the abundant harvest of our campus? If we really believe Jesus for what he said, that the harvest is plentiful, then I think we would start to see revival. I believe the best kind is the kind that you do. So initiative evangelism, or also we have a a tool called the personal ministry target strategy. Your campus, your college campus, university campus, is more like a waffle than a pancake. Okay? Anyone hungry? We're going to have dinner soon after this. But um, a waffle, the campus is like a waffle. We want to get the syrup of the gospel into every nook and cranny of the campus. Every athletic team every dorm, every major, because a lot of times these certain fraternities don't hang out with other fraternities. Certain athletic teams won't hang out with other people. And there's dorms. There's, there's all sorts of niches. And our prayer at Chico State was to get into every single one of those. Um, and we had a motto at Chico State we redeemed is full sins only. <laughs> okay, John 20, 21, as a father has sent me, I am sending you. We want every single student in our ministry to be sent into their own personal ministry target. And uh, we, heard, we had a guy named Matt. 
He was a Christian all his life. He was homeschooled, so, but he was a cool homeschooler. <laughs> Just kidding. No, um, no, he was legit. And uh, he had a girlfriend. He was a junior. He was spiritually mature, but he didn't have that mission field. He didn't have a lot of non-Christian friends. And he heard about the Alpha Sig fraternity, and he heard that no, there was no one in the Alpha Sigma fraternity that was following Jesus. And him and Brendan said, hey, we're going. We're going to rush as juniors. I already have friends. I got plenty. I already have a girlfriend. But these people don't have the most important thing, which is Christ. So we literally laid hands on them and sent them in. Matthew 10, 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And uh, they rushed the fraternity, Matt and Brendan. And Brendan was a sophomore. Matt was a junior. And so it was like, we're like, why do you guys want to rush? They're like, uh, we just do. <laughs> you know? But no, they went in and they rushed and uh, they built friendships, genuine relationships with everybody. Half a year in, he stood up in front of the whole group. He had some boldness to do this. And he stood up in front of the whole group and he said, hey, guys, I don't know if you knew, but Alpha Sig was based on biblical values. Um, integrity, brotherhood, fill in the blank. You know, I, he knows them, but I don't. Um, and he was like, what we're going to do is we're going to do a Bible study before chapter meeting for the next few weeks, and I'm going to have free pizza. I got some people at my church to help me with free pizza, and we're going to have free pizza right before chapter meeting on the values of our fraternity, and y'all should come. And then he recruited a bunch of them to personally come. He personally recruited people to come. At his first Bible study, he had 16 guys show up to that first values-based Bible study, and they were all non-Christians. And at that study, one of the guys was like, yeah, I like to read the Bible sometimes, and especially like to when I'm smoking weed. <laughs> and Matt was like, oh, man, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> but of those 60 guys he invited, 16 showed up to the meeting. Out of those 16, Brendan and Matt took the rest of that semester to have a gospel appointment with them, hear their story, share their story, and then explain the story of God, God's story. And out of those 16, three Three said, yes. Three said, eternal life, yes. Three said, forgiveness of sins, yes. Three said, freedom from my addictions, yes. Three said, yes. Sixty said, no thanks, we're good. Sixteen said, oh, maybe. But three said, yes. I pray that we would be seed-sowing fools, okay? Strategic seed-sowing fools. And they ended up leading another guy to Christ named Connor, and then Connor has led another guy to Christ. And they're seeing this little mini movement of God in the Alpha Sig fraternity. And I could literally talk all day about the, the football team. Solomon, a guy on the football team, he was the only Christian that he knew of on the football team. And we equipped him in this stuff. And fast forward two years later, eight other guys came to Christ on the football team. And he was on the football team, like, on, in our baptism pool helping baptize Solomon, this massive guy, and they would splash all the water out of the baptism pool. Um, and uh, anyone can do it. Um, here's a free tool, personal ministry target impact worksheet. Personal ministry impact worksheet. Um, the next principle I want to focus on is focus on God's power over your performance. Focus on God's power over your performance. I remember having a gospel appointment with a guy and I had a discipleship meeting right before that gospel appointment. And uh, anyone have one of those discipleship meetings that's just, like, doesn't go well, like, at all? Like, you're like, why am I even doing this? <laughs> like, okay, we got a couple honest people again. Um, but 
this guy I was discipling, there was a girl involved, and he was just blinded by the light of this female. And uh, it just did not go well. It just, it was a really bad, discouraging discipleship meeting. And I booked a gospel appointment with a brand new, cool bro, snowboard guy on campus. And uh, back to back, I was trying to be efficient, but that wasn't very wise because I was this close from texting Brent, um, no, his name, well, we'll go with Brendan. i yeah, yeah, it was Brendan. <laughs> okay, another Brendan. Um, texting Brendan, hey, bro, I got to cancel. Something came up, and really, I just didn't feel like meeting with him. But I sat down across the coffee shop table, and I kid you not, I made the worst small talk in the history of gospel conversations. I was just out of it. I was discouraged. I was like, oh, how you doing? And I made the worst transition to a gospel presentation I've ever heard of in my life. I was like, yeah, we have this piece of paper that explains some stuff about the gospel and some stuff. You mind if I look at it? It was like horrible. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And we started reading it. And we had this gospel lesson we use. And I always say this. If you can make small talk and you can read, you can lead people to Christ. (laughs) Because I would make an awkward transition. I put it on the table. We started reading it together. And the first page talks about how sin separates us from a holy God. And he was like, wait, bruh. (laughs) <laughs> that's the Northern California guys for you. Bruh, how's there hope for any of us? I was like, that's kind of the point. Let's get to the next page. <laughs> and we talk about Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross, in our place for our sins. And then we talk about lordship, the need for him to turn his entire life over to Jesus and to repent and turn to Christ. And the dude basically led himself to Christ, Okay. All I did was show up and make some awkward conversations, some awkward transitions, and read a Bible study with them, and he led. God did the heavy lifting. And if you struggle, like I do, with sharing the gospel, I want you to memorize 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. It'll be really encouraging. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. According to this passage, what do you have to know to share the gospel? Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you know enough to be saved, you know enough to share the gospel. Okay, if you know enough to be saved yourself, you know enough to share the gospel with others. And then I'm so encouraged by this because I used to picture the Apostle Paul as like this really big buff warrior guy, like a Tim Tebow type guy. I don't know, like a big buff guy, like throw me the lines or rip their heads off. You know, that's what I pictured. But no, he's more, he said, I came to you in weakness in fear and much trembling. And if we're honest, we're all in that category, like we're all, I would even, if I was writing it myself, I would add sweating. I like, my, my palms are sweating right now. I, I just sweat a lot. But anyone relate to this? Weakness, fear, and much trembling. Because I've learned that God wants to use us often despite ourselves. Often, so he gets all the glory. And so if you have weakness, if you have fear, you are in the best company with the Apostle Paul, with everyone who's ever done ministry on the planet. It's not about polish. It's about power. It's not about performance. It's about 
God's power. God reaching into a dead human heart and getting that heart beating. And he uses his word. He uses his his spirit. It's about God opening blind eyes. Acts 16, 17, and 18, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And this was Apostle Paul's mission statement. I'm sending you to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. Can anyone on their own strength in here open people's eyes? No. Like even the Apostle Paul, he was sent to do the impossible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is in the opening blind eyes business today. God is in the redeeming and rescuing dead hearts today. God is in the business of making dead bones live by the power of the Spirit today. Y'all, Ezekiel 37, anyone else, anyone heard that this this, uh, conference? God wants to turn the dead bones of this generation into a vast army for his glory. God wants to make dead bones live. You, this generation, the old, I'm hanging out with a lot of older people too, and they see it, man, this generation, Gen Z, y'all, y'all, you know, like, I'm like, no, man, Gen Z, you see bones, I see an army, okay? You see dead bones, I see an army for the glory of God. Ezekiel 31, 37, 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and, br- and breathe in, breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Y'all, I've seen the worst sinner on the campus become the best evangelist. We've seen a guy that we shared the gospel with him one night, and he, he went home. I was at our weekly meeting. After the weekly meeting, he went home. He couldn't sleep that whole night because the Spirit was convicting him and drawing him. The next day, he went and he paid back people that he had stolen money from. And the next semester, he led about 12 other people to Christ because <laughs> he had such a radical testimony of what God did in his heart. And uh, I want us to see that sometimes those, those people don't write anyone off. He would go on walks with a freshman guy, and he would go, and he would share his testimony, and they would walk around the freshman dorm, and he would share his te- testimony, and it was like a little too graphic, but anyways, he would, he would just go like that. And then by the time they got around the freshman dorm, the look on this freshman's face was different. Like, God had just invaded the soul of this freshman. <laughs> like, God got him. And um, what we've learned is when we share the gospel, y'all, there's so much more happening than just exchanging information. There is so much more happening than just words and body language. Man, when you share the gospel, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you're backed by the very presence and power and authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, "In all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So when we live on his mission, it's not about us. It's about responding to and believing his authority and his presence. Are what our, our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is the authority of Jesus and the presence of Christ to make our fruit our, our evangelism and ministry fruitful. 
And uh, I think some of us are just way too smart for our own good. <laughs> We're just way too smart. We get into the paralysis of analysis. We think, well, is it the right time to share with them? What if I turn them away? All this stuff. But I believe that we're too smart for our own good. I have a friend named Mark Middleberg, and uh, he has a friend named Lee Strobel. And they did this thing called, uh, and you guys have heard of Lee Strobel, right? Okay, case for Christ. I'm not trying to name drop, you know, but anyways, they did this thing called Skeptics Corner in their community. And they would do an apologetics talk, and they would invite all the skeptics and hardcore atheists to come. And they would do an apologetics talk, and then they would do Q&A afterwards. And all the, like, frothing, foaming at the mouth, atheists would sit up front, you know. And they would, they would ask questions, and there would be a ton of, like, curious people in the back. And then after the service, or, like, it wasn't a service, but after the session, they would walk up, and they would lead a ton of those curious people to Christ. And even a few of those hardcore atheists, because, again, sometimes the people that are the most resistant end up being the most open because there's something that God's doing in their life. And at one of these sessions, this little old lady that was a widow of a famous evangelist hobbled up to them with her cane. She hobbled up in her 80s, 90s, and she pointed her bony finger at him, and she said, do you know why God is using you? They're like, no, man, we're just out here. (laughs) We don't know. She said, because you're dumb enough to believe this would work. (laughs) you're dumb enough to believe this would work. And that's what I want to be. I want to be dumb enough to believe the gospel can still change lives. I want to be dumb enough to believe Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. I want to be dumb enough to believe 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Man, I pray that we would step into gospel conversations knowing that God is going to save someone. Um, If you want to experience the power of God, share the gospel. If you want a worship experience, don't go to passion conferences. Well, okay, maybe I'm fine with passion conferences. That's good. But if you want a worship experience, sit across the coffee shop table and watch someone cross from death to life right before your eyes. That is a worship experience. Man, this, in, we applied this Sewing Broadly principle to Chico State one year, and I got our 50 student leaders together, and I said, hey, guys, there's 16,000 students at Chico State. What would happen if we shared the gospel with 1,000 of them this year? And we looked around. We're Chico State, Harvard of the West, right? We're like, I think some people would get saved, you know? I'm like, yeah, I think so, too. Um, So we went out, and again, we did the math. 50 people times 20 is 1,000. And how many um, weeks in in a school year are there? About 30. There's about 30 in a school year. So that's less than one person that we share with a week. So we went out, and we fell way short of our goal, okay? We shared the gospel face to face with 600 people that school year. Our 50 leaders did. And out of those 600 people, we saw 207 pray to receive Christ. Yeah. Almost every single day, we were getting, I was getting a text message. My phone was blowing up. We have a secret Facebook group where we talk about gospel conversations. And my phone was blowing up about, hey, I just met with John, and he came to Christ, and, you know, his, he's going to bring his friends. And God just did something special. But um, it's actually impossible to fail when we share the gospel. The only failure 
in witnessing is a failure to witness. Bill Bright says, success in witnessing is taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. The only failure in witnessing is a failure to witness. We even see God save people using methods that don't work anymore, okay? <laughs> we even do random evangelism. We have five student-led random times where we share the gospel and pray, pray for people. And we ran into a guy named John that uh, was sitting alone in, on a bench. And the week before, he had prayed, God, if you're real, show me that you're real. What a coincidence, right? <laughs> There's nothing random about random evangelism. And our motto in our ministry is, when in doubt, share the gospel. <laughs> when in doubt, and if they're breathing, they need Jesus. When in doubt, share the gospel. If they're breathing, they need Jesus. So this is how our ministry works, is we have a social event. We have a church service or a large group meeting or a small group. If someone comes to our weekly meeting, we pr practice a 10-minute rule. So 10 minutes before and after the service, Y'all aren't allowed to talk to each other, okay? Friends aren't allowed to talk to each other. They go and they talk to the new people. And so if there's 20 people, if there's 20 new people at a big outreach event we had, then our 50 student leaders will mix and mingle. And we're not perfect at it, but in general, we'll mix and mingle. And it, say we had 20 new people, by the end of that night, they will have set up 15 gospel appointments with those new people. So we're not perfect. But, man, we're still seeing, they say, hey, it would be great to get to know you better and tell you more about what Christian Challenge is all about. Want to grab lunch or coffee? Because what are we all about? The gospel. <laughs> we're all about Jesus. And the college campus is a recruitment culture. And so we found that every club worth its salt is recruiting. Every fraternity will meet with you to make sure you're cool enough to join. You know, all those things. And, um, man, we do it. So we do it with everyone. And we've seen hundreds of people come to Christ. You can check that out at gospelappointments.com. We have a bunch of resources there. Also at ginsin.org, we have how-to. We even give them a script to walk through. And we say, don't be scripted, but some people need training wheels to kind of learn how to share their faith. And so we call it intentional relational evangelism. And so it's their story, your story, God's story. And when we share the gospel, we use a gospel lesson. And it's a Pretty in-depth 20-minute gospel presentation. Also, NAM has this app called Life on Mission app. I recommend all you guys download it on your phone because how many of you guys can read out loud? Okay. Yay. I this is every time I share the gospel, I still use an app or a lesson, and it's you read a page. I read a page. <laughs> it's like a kid's book, you know? I read through it, and I found that God uses the scripture. Not my fancy way of explaining the gospel. And then at the end of each of these gospel appointments, we always ask the golden question. And what's the golden question? If you share a full gospel presentation, explain lordship, the importance of making Jesus Lord of every area of your life. And we use an illustration called the pie illustration, where um, basically you have your girlfriend, or lack thereof, okay? You got your friends, you got your free time, you have all these different areas of life, school, a lot of people give God or Jesus a slice of their life. And I say, that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is I draw a cross at the center, and I say, Jesus comes in and rules and reigns in your life, and he determines what you do with your girlfriend on a Friday night. He determines what you do with your future, your free time, every area of your life. And it's the greatest thing imaginable is to invite Jesus to rule and be in control of your life. 
And then I ask the golden question. Would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life right now? And it's not a high-pressure thing. It's not like a turn-or-burn moment. No, it's, it's a low-pressure, relational, loving moment. And I zip the lip. And let me tell you, man, those three, four seconds of awkward silence is a maximum opportunity for God's Spirit to work on someone. And I've seen grown men break down in tears, get saved right before my eyes. This person that you share the gospel with, they'll forget thousands of conversations in their life. But I believe they won't forget this one. (laughs) I believe, I've heard too many times of someone getting saved that they didn't get saved on the spot, but that gospel conversation became a, a pebble in the shoe. You ever had a pebble in your shoe, like a ro- little rock in your shoe? I believe our gospel conversations can be like a pebble in their shoe of their mind, okay? Um, it, can, it can be something they never forget because I believe God loves people too much to let them get away. <laughs> that reckless love, y'all. <laughs> he's, he's coming after you. He's going to get you. And let me be real about sharing the gospel is sometimes it's awkward. But what I've learned is that awkward conversations change lives. Actually, uh, the best conversations in your life are awkward conversations. When I asked my wife out for the first time, that was an awkward conversation. <laughs> like, I, I cringe when I think about it. it, it was, but it changed my life. Fifteen years of marriage and two kids later, I am so glad I had that awkward conversation. And last time I checked, no one has ever died from awkwardness. <laughs> it just has not happened. I actually pray, I'm praying for you that you guys go out and get into lots of awkward conversations for the glory of God, okay? I pray that you, because your friends, the people that in your relational networks, some of them are one awkward conversation away from giving their life to Christ. Now, don't be awkward on purpose. <laughs> Try to make it as smooth and natural as possible. But actually, the best conversations are awkward conversations. And I pray that you guys would get into them and, and be bold on us. We don't need new methods in evangelism. Like, I, I love new methods. We need new boldness. We need, like, the early church when they were threatened with their life, life in Acts 4. You guys remember Acts chapter 4? They called a prayer meeting. They were threatened with their lives. The one thing they didn't pray for was protection. But they prayed for boldness. God, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You guys remember what happened? Acts 4.29? The whole place shook. And then it says they all spoke God's word boldly. And I pray that we would be bold. We would let the boldness of the Spirit fill us. And every other false belief is bold about what they believe on TikTok and everything. Man, where are the Christians being bold? I want to challenge all of us to be bold, to be awkward, <laughs> to be a little weird for the glory of God. Um, how many of y'all are introverts? Would you say you're an introvert? Okay, yay. Let's give it up for the introverts. Yeah. You guys actually have an advantage in some ways, because us extroverts sometimes come across like used car salesmen, okay? (laughs) We're just annoying and a little too extra, Um, but introverts are chill, right? And uh, more and more, there's more people that identify that way, and so I want to introduce you to Mariana. Mariana is the shyest girl I've ever met, and uh, I have trouble talking to her, to be honest, (laughs) but she learned how to do gospel appointments 
And she would come up after a service, a church service or our weekly meeting, and she would make small talk with the new girl and say, hey, my name's Mariana. What's your name? <laughs> you know, and talk to her and say, I'd love to grab lunch or coffee with you, get to know you better, tell you more about what we're all about. And then she would sit down at the coffee shop table and say, hey, what's your story? And then share her testimony and then share God's story. During her college experience, Mariana was able to lead over 20 other girls to faith in Christ. The shyest girl I've ever met. Yeah, you can clap for that. Praise God. It gets better because the girls she led to Christ, she was able to disciple a bunch of them. And some of them she had to pass off to other people. She was like leading too many people to Christ. That's a good problem to have. And those girls discipled other girls, led others to Christ. And she ended up having a downline of about 40 girls that were come to Christ and were being discipled. Some people call it like the pyramid scheme for Jesus, okay? <laughs> Second Timothy 2.2. And what I've learned from her and even my own life is it's not about your abilities, right? It's not about your abilities. It's about your availability. God will use anyone, even you. God will use anyone, even you. I want to close with a challenge to pray for these things. We're going to go to the last slide where it says, I want to challenge you to pray this every day, Bob. Pray Every day pray for Bob. Okay, it's a little cheesy, but we'll, we'll roll with it. Every day pray for a burden for the lost. Now, don't pray this if you don't mean it, okay? Because this is the, the kind of prayer that will wreck you. Burden for the lost, opportunity to witness, and boldness to proclaim Christ. When I started playing that, praying this, I was working at Stanley Steamer Carpet Cleaners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I had guys bringing up the gospel with me all the time. I started praying specifically for them by name, and we started seeing God move. And then pray for courage to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, so what I'm going to do right now is we're going to have a few other elements in this, in this service, but um, I want to just close in prayer, and I want to do something unique and have you all get in groups of two or three and pray this. Ask God to give you a burden for the lost. Maybe even pray specifically for anyone you know by name. Ask God to give you opportunities to witness. And then ask God to give you boldness to share the gospel. So we're just going to do Acts 4 right now, man. We're going to get together and we're going to pray for each other that we have boldness to do what God's called us to do. And then I'll close us in prayer. Just a few minutes of out loud prayer and then I'll close us. Father, thank you for your grace in each of our lives. God, we do want to ask. We ask that you give us a burden. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. That we would see those around you with eternal eyes. You would stamp eternity on our eyeballs, Lord. You would help us to see with eternal perspective. Give us your love. Lord, your spirit wants to show us that. So, God, every day, help us to be consistent to pray this Bob prayer. And, God, as we pray for people, specific people we know, we would, we would care enough to get into their lives and share with them, invite them to church, set up gospel appointments. And God, give us opportunities. Open doors. Open doors that no one can shut, God. Give us open doors into every nook and cranny of our campuses, God. Do stuff this semester that can only be described by God did that. Lord, don't let us settle for a lukewarm, 
American version of Christianity, God, give us your heart. And then give us boldness, give us courage to be weird, to be willing to be weird, to be willing to be awkward, to be willing to be different for your glory, God. Help it to be as loving and calm and uh, low pressure as it can be, but God, give us a boldness. And do right now, even during this rest of this time, we're gonna have some other elements. God, help us, just like in Acts 4, shake this place for your glory. Help us to speak your word boldly. Help us to let our, let our love for people overcome our fear of people. I pray this for myself, Lord. I would love people enough to open my mouth. God, that you would open hearts. So God, help us, give us this consistency and call us out to be laborers for your kingdom on our campuses and wherever we go for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.